Good morning and welcome to um, Brooklyn Zen Center Saturday get together. You know, I really trust um, silence, and I trust waiting until silence comes up with something, but sometimes I wait and nothing is there, <laughs> so I apologize. I've been talking with um, a number of you, and I just want to reiterate, as I will over and over again, um, because it's foundational for our practice. In fact, without this, really, in a, in a way, no practice is happening, although everybody's timing about these things is different. So sometimes I can, you know, words can say that practice isn't happening yet, but given that everybody has their own timing, things are actually happening. Um, it just doesn't... The person is not yet at the place where, which is what I'm going to say, where they can take full responsibility for what, how they respond to whatever happens. This is the place where practice actually begins, and without taking that kind of responsibility, um, there is no separation between uh, what, what we identify as ourselves, which is mostly our body, emotion, and thought. So it's kind of, um, in a way, a great thing that we are studying relationship because it's in relationship that this question of taking responsibility for what arises comes in our face over and over again. And um, at some point, we tire of um, pushing that responsibility away and um, begin to uh, wonder why we're suffering from our side. And that's a huge step. It's really a huge step. So I thought today, um, since we're going into uh, a, a, an elongated a sitting, which we call a retreat, I thought I would um, talk a little bit about the relationship of zazen to relationship. So in the beginning, when we first sit down, 
what we experience is uh, usually what most people experience is a um, is a mess. Really, it's a it's a um, a waterfall of emotion thought, uh, pretty much without any space, and most people are have have difficulty just aiming and sustaining the mind, just aiming the mind and keeping it on what they want it to pay attention to, which it can be a little bit shocking. And um, of course the reason for that is because there's a lot of habit energy behind those, thank you, behind those emotions and thoughts, and not very much energy behind uh, a different pattern, a different habit pattern. So there's identification, there's no space. When we are angry, we say, I am angry. If we're jealous, we say, I am jealous. So at that point, in terms of zazen on the cushion and in relationship, we're completely, uh, basically lost as Joko Beck would put it, lost in a self-centered dream. And she says, lost in a self-centered dream, only suffering. And we, we, that's true for us, that's true for us. And usually we push it away, we say that our suffering is caused from whatever is out there. That's a person who hasn't yet taken responsibility for what arises in them, in response to whatever's happening. And so, um, in relationship, it can go either way. It can be a down relationship where you're miserable in the relationship and you're blaming each other and you're undermining each other and um, each person has a you know, stand and this, they think they're right and so on and so forth. Or it could be exactly the opposite. It seems like you know, you've just met and everything is perfect and when I sit, it's, when I sit in uh, and talk to people, um, they tell me, they reassure me <laughs> that yes, in fact, this time this is the person and they're perfect and they explain to me why and all the little idiosyncrasies are so endearing and, and I pay basic, very little attention for at least, <laughs> I didn't even want to talk to them. <laughs> for a good six months to a year because they're floating along in this fantasy of perfection, which is fabulous. I mean, there's, nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a wonderful thing when that happens, but it's not real. You know, it's a wonderful, it's wonderful. I have nothing against it. It's terrific. So that's kind of the first, first, it's what Joko Beck is talking about, about being lost in the traffic. It's down there, you know, on the ground, uh, with thoughts and emotions that are real. Cars are coming left and right toward us. We bump into buses. We bounce off cars. <laughs> we pick ourselves up and we think we're making progress. <laughs> so sweet. We try so hard, you know. But 
I mean, at that point, nobody tells us, and in, fact, in some way we can't hear at that point that there's another way. We try really hard to be happy and to figure things out, but it's difficult because there's so much conditioning behind us we can't see. So then, as we sit uh, longer and we begin to have some skill in meditation, what happens is we, uh, I was going to say cultivate, develop, it's not really true, we begin to allow the awareness that's already there to come a little bit forward, we are a little bit more uh, present, we're practicing, We, we learn what being mindful is. We begin to put it into practice. In our meditation, we're more skillful at aiming and sustaining the mind. There's more stability there. And because there's more stability, we're more present, we're more present, there is awareness there. There are gaps in our belief in our own emotion thought. We're not so identified. We're beginning to have that crack that I was talking about the other day. We're beginning to develop the watcher. We don't really develop a watcher. It's just that there's awareness there. We're noticing there's a little bit of a crack. We're not so identified with emotion thought. Instead of saying, instead of saying, I am angry, we can say there is anger here. That's what it means to not be so identified. It's just an event that's passing through. We've seen it over and over and over and over again in our zazen. And we begin to take that into relationship. This moment of practice is really um, heroic. Because without yet any real experience in a way that this path is effective, efficacious, I could have said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, efficacious. Efficacious. <laughs> Still, the person is willing to separate from what they think of is themselves. This is a gigantically courageous moment. We're, we're really being honest with ourselves in a way for the first time, not being dramatic, not being in denial. We're actually allowing who we are to be there and look at it. And it is humbling because, and that's why it's so courageous. I mean, I can hardly, well anyway, it's courageous heroic and courageous, and it takes guts. Because what we see is um, selfishness, 
overwhelming selfishness, jealousy, judgment, hatred, regret, guilt. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's painful. It's embarrassing. And, And we sit there with it. We begin to take responsibility for who we are at that point. We begin to open up to ourselves in a real way. This is the beginning of compassion for ourselves, deep, a deeper kind of acceptance, a willingness to be authentic. And it's easiest in zazen, even though it's hard. It's easiest in zazen because we're just dealing with ourselves. But what we do is we take that also, that kind of courage and commitment to be, allow ourselves to be who we are, and we also do that in relationship. We begin to say to whomever, a worker, a co-worker, a partner, whatever the situation is, we begin to tell them how we are actually feeling. It's a gigantic risk. And because we're a little bit less identified with emotion thought, there's kind of a um, a little bit we don't know who we are because we're not necessarily responding in the old way so there's this uh, nothing down there you know there's like this hole there and we don't know how you know who exactly we are we're trying to not do the old stuff we don't yet know what is going to be there but we try at that time there's a lot of experimenting appropriately going on. You just don't want to do the old thing. And so you tell your partner, well, actually, I'm feeling such and so and so, or, you know, sexually, would, you know, I like this. It's a huge thing to take those kinds of risks. But that's what's happening. And what's happening there is we are beginning to wake up. We're beginning to bring awareness which is what waking up is, waking up out of identification with self. We're beginning to bring awareness to Zazen and to our relationships. Yes? Is it okay for a question? Yeah. So how, how does allowing for the experience transform behavior? On and off the cushion, well you're not really behaving on the cushion. But. How does how does like Jung talks about experiencing pure experiencing? Yeah. How does pure? How does allowing for what's arising? How does it help with disidentification? And how does that help with behavior? Transform. How behavior? does just experiencing allow for not identifying? Yeah. How does it? With how it? does it help with not identifying? And how mm-hmm. does all of that help with transforming behavior? Behavior. Well, this is great. It's great. It's a great question. Um, Let me see if my mind is going to stay with you. Um, In Zazen, the wonderful thing is in Zazen is when we, um, at this point in Zazen, I'm not sure that just experiencing is happening, for one thing, but when we just experience, and by that, Jokobek means when we are. What we are is just this receptive mechanism. We're just sensate. We're sensate. We hear, feel, taste, touch. This is what we are with awareness. That's what we are. 
And when we do that without pushing away what arises and without grabbing onto what arises, there is simply, um, I, it, we are being, we're being who we are. We're being what we are. And the more we spend time in that, the less we, um, the, the, the less strong the old conditioning uh, gets because we're not adding to that conditioning. So different, um, what do you call it, different um, neural, even um, uh, physically, that we're changing inside. And this is now being researched and proven over and over again. The mind actually changes when we don't react to um, old patterns of conditioning. It actually literally changes. So living just as, uh, can I say, just as, uh, I'm not finding good words here, I was going to say purity or just as what we are. Um, the closer we get to living at the level of sensation without putting notions on top of it, the more spaciousness there and the clearer we see. The clearer we see things. There's not, we're, not, we're not overlaying it with, we're not seeing anything through the veil of ideas, basically. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Is that what you wanted me to say? I wanted you to say what you said. said okay. Um, do you want, anybody want to add to that? Yes, I think um, when we fight something, whatever it is we're fighting, it just fights back even stronger. So by letting go of that, you take away the dynamic. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Did you hear that? Lane, that was really important. We think by sometimes by pushing things away that they go away, but they don't. Actually, if you push something away, it makes it stronger. Like if you push your, you know, if you push against something, another p- person, they'll come back at you. In relationships, if you push somebody away, you accuse them of something, they'll get defensive, they'll push back. Right? Yeah, just because um, I've had to say this to me probably very since I've known you. <laughs> the idea that. Um, if we are caught up in our butt thinking, if we do see this uh, habit of mind, if we can uh, just accept it but not identify with it. Mm-hmm. So um, that can also help create different neural pathways. So in other words, we don't have to get rid of it. Not at all. We, and we can't get rid of it. Absolutely. We, but if we can um, allow it. Yes. And hopefully with some sense of patience and curiosity and compassion, that, which I think helps create the conditions for us to, to tolerate yes. those kinds of powerful uh, thoughts and feelings. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for reminding me. We, we, as we go through this, we really need to remember that we are not trying to fix anything. We're not trying to make ourselves better. That's not our effort. Our effort is to wake up, is to be free of whatever is happening there. We're not trying to make it better. If we think that we're trying to make it better, we, the self is active. What we're trying to do is dissolve and let go of self, selfing. So it's really, it's a really important point. Yes? I had some confusion a little bit back when you were talking about, um, talking about how you're, 
actually feeling to someone. That gets a little, I have some confusion about like um, taking responsibility or reacting or uh, uh, just a little unclear how, because um, somehow I thought maybe um, I should just take responsibility for what I'm feeling and I shouldn't be telling somebody I'm feeling this in relation to you or I just have some confusion there. So you're right. You're correct. You take responsibility for your side. For what you're feeling. For what you're feeling. Right. You can express that. You can express that and ought to express that, really. I mean, I don't know if ought to is quite the right word, but if it's appropriate, yes, you, you can express that. And you don't blame the other person that that came up in you. Nobody makes you angry. The anger is your, your response, and that is totally your responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's how we walk here. Right, but you can't express that this is coming up in Yeah, you. I feel angry now. Um, you didn't make me angry, but that's what's coming up for me. Somebody? Yes? Uh, from my experience, there's a sort of gray area where uh, I have become more aware of the things that produce emotional responses in me, um, although they're still doing it. Uh, and <laughs> so I don't know if that's <laughs> Full yeah. assumption of responsibility or partial assumption of responsibility, but just sort of awareness of, okay, when X, Y, and Z happens, I feel this way. And yes. So it's perhaps a bridge to some goal state of not being so overcome. Um, but I've just been finding that is sort of more. Um, Your experience. More what Zazen has sort of helped me with is, is mm -hmm. being not identified in the sense of being convinced of the story, mm -hmm. but yes. still. By the yes. There is a part in practice that's really very interesting. The awareness develops before the karmic uh, energy, in a way, stops. So, and so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're really aware that um, you ought to not answer the phone, you know, <laughs> right? Or even make that call. You're totally aware that 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 you that that's not a good thing to do right now and you watch your hand moving <laughs> toward the phone and in fact making that call and even during the conversation you know you ought not to be on the phone but you do it anyway because there's this the energy is still powerful for for certain things not all things but the deep, certainly the deep, as the deeper things have a lot of energy behind them so there is that um, time when Awareness is developing, and uh, which this is a good thing. It's actually, it says it's a good thing, but you still sometimes do the old behavior. It's a kind of a, a little bit well, odd. For me, it's more emotionally explosive situations and avoiding, um, you know, not getting into a position where things are going to become mm -hmm. uh, unmanageable. Or, you know. That's also skillful. But but it doesn't mean that in the situation. I'm <laughs> Well, yes, right, and that's why we need to develop patience with ourselves, because as we develop more awareness, we actually see our behavior more clearly, whereas before, 
you might have popped off and so what, you know, and besides I was right. But now, <laughs> but now you pop off, you may not think you're so right or even right, but not the, yes. <laughs> so in some ways, I tell people all the time um, that when they, in the beginning of practice, it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, and they're supposed to go home to their families, the very place that this kind of conditioning developed, and they're not yet strong enough. The mind, they don't have a strong enough being present mind, mindfulness. Practice not strong enough, and I, and I often tell people, don't go home, or if you have to go home, one day, or if it has to be two days or three days, then what I suggest is, is that they, you know, they, they ratchet up their mindfulness as much as they can, go into that situation, and be really aware when they're beginning to lose it and go back into an old behavior. When that happens, at least remove yourself. Go for a walk. Go to the bathroom. Do something to stop the old pattern. And then when you're calmed down again and ready to you pick yourself up, you know, and go back into the situation. So I think it's really skillful at a certain point in practice to not put yourself in situations that exacerbate those old patterns. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm kind of getting um, more aware that part of um, what I do with other people is the same as what I do with myself. <laughs> um, and I think that, I mean, that's kind of like the hidden part of it that I'm becoming a little more aware of, like the way I myself is a in a very shabby way. Um, and um, and I kind of want to connect it to like the cushion thing. Like when you're sitting on the cushion and say, you know, you're trying to focus on your breath and you're counting your breaths and one, two, three, four, five, and then your mind says, you know, something. And then you then you kind of um, have the temptation to sort of forcibly stop it from doing that. Mm -hmm. Or say, you know, Stop that now, you know, that mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, And I'm sort of one, this is where I'm like, this is like a brass tax kind of question, like a practice question. What I'm wondering is like, at that point, should we, should we, should we be kind to our own, you know, wandering, crazy, idiotic, immature <laughs> self, if you want to use that word. Um, and, and not punish it for doing all that. And I'm wondering what that's kind of like where you start with, you know, them being able to do the same for other people. I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm wondering, so my basic question is, when your mind does that, how do you need to redirect? Um, first of all, it's such a beautiful question, your question, you know. And, it, in a, and, it, and, it, and um, if I may say, it's not really a question. It's a statement. And you know your own answer, you know, in that statement already. I 
You know, um, the Dalai Lama says over and over again that his religion is kindness. Buddhism, Shmuddhism, you know. I mean, really, what does it matter? What matters is, is that we actually, you know, are kind to ourselves and to everything. Whether it comes from an understanding of oneness or it comes because um, you can see in your own zazen that that's the appropriate way to respond to your own difficult thoughts. That is the, the appropriate response. That's another really good point. You know, the, is it the third noble truth is grasping. What caused the cause of suffering is grasping. So, and we often grasp after uh, getting better. You know? And whether pushing away is just grasping after the other side of that, right? So, whenever we feel ourselves wanting to get better, wanting to do the practice correctly, wanting to do the practice correctly, which I got caught in. You know, that was that caught me for a long time. Whenever the mind, two things about the mind that are really interesting. Whenever you feel yourself leaning forward, Reb would say leaking, you know, forward. Whenever you find yourself grabbing, it really doesn't make any difference. You don't have to kind of decide what it is you're grasping after that um, is a point at that moment. At that moment, the most important thing is to let go of the grasping. And the same thing true is with the mind, the push-pull mind. You know, the mind that goes like a ping-pong mind, I call it, with the kids. The mind, I should, I shouldn't, I should, I shouldn't, should I do this, should I do that, should I do this, should I do that. At that point, it really does not matter which one you decide. Decide anything. Just stop this mind from doing this. This is one of the, you know, the small mind does that a lot. Don't do that. I was gonna. Can I keep? Do do we do soji? Well, we are gonna do soji today. (laughs) Okay. How do you stop the ping pong? You just stop it. Just don't do that. Just stop it. Decide one thing or the other. And then take care of, you know, you can just go down one of the routes and if you know that, you know, a couple of steps down there that you really, that wasn't the decision you ought to have made, then just do the other one. Can you just watch them? <laughs> I, would, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> stop it. So as we practice 
um, more with this and less and less identified with particular emotion thoughts, um, we begin to see patterns. We begin to see how all of this stuff is connected, how it relates to past uh, conditioning and so on and so forth. There's much more space. We're beginning to have uh, glimpses and tastes of real um, silence. We are not, even when thoughts come up that are sticky, it really doesn't matter. We don't act on those thoughts. We, um, we, at that, uh, when that happens, we begin to be uncomfortable with separation. That in itself, we uh, address immediately. We, instead of, instead of working so much with emotion thought, we're working simply with um, a sense of separation, patterns, and that uh, that the self used to be interested in are no longer interested. Interesting. You've already had a taste of. Um, what can I say? You, you really you see really clearly how the mind works, and how it's uh, how it creates and maintains a self which is separation and you're no longer really interested in any of it. You don't go to any thoughts. You're just completely uninterested in the stories, in anything. Um, you don't, you're no longer causing suffering for yourself and you're causing a lot less suffering for other people. You're not defensive, but, well you're not defensive anymore. You can meet people where they're at without demanding that they be something else other than what they're presenting. There's more space. I don't know if I should keep talking about this. I think I'll stop. I'll talk about more during session. About this a little bit more because we're running out of time. And I, um, I want to read a paper by a um, student who is beginning this practice now. It's very sweet and dear. And, um, yeah, I want to do that. This person is a girl, and she's a perfectionist. She talks about it a little bit in her paper. want to say for a minute, you know, um, as difficult as it is to start practice in the way that I was talking about before, um, it's every single person here, without question, can develop freedom from, you know, way freedom from this identification with their small mind, 
without question. All you have to do is keep doing this. Before this class, I had a different view of myself and a different outlook on life. I held myself to very high expectations, partly because my own self-discipline and desire for success, and partly because my environment demanded that I exceed already high standards. This mentally meant that I was more living in the future instead of not respecting and appreciating the present moment. This made me sort of a perfectionist. big perfectionist. She was a major perfectionist. And it led to self-inflicted dukkha, where I would assume my problems were caused by an external force, when in reality they were problems of my own creation. The dukkha I experienced would often arise because I took some things for granted, and when things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to, I would be displeased. This would cause me to peg my identity on my emotions. Sometimes I thought that maybe I wasn't good enough. <laughs> because this certain thing didn't work out, etc. This is not to say that I was not a kind person before this class, who was appreciative of things and who liked to help people and solve problems. But before this class, I never really bothered to work out internal problems I faced. I just assumed that they would always bother me. As a result of this class, I noticed changes in me. Part of this was due to what material we learned and part of it was due to my development of my practice. One big thing I notice is that I am more patient. I am literally slower to judge because I stop to think about my actions, thoughts, and words more than I did before. I think about what effect they will have on me and others, with what intention they arose, and if they are healthy or not. Even though it is sometimes a struggle, I try not to overlay reality with ideas and concepts and I make a continuous effort to see and live life as it is, because I now realize that my deepest self is silent and awake. This has made me more tolerant of other people. Because I do not take their actions and words personally, I recognize now that they, personally, I recognize now that they have a personal reason for saying or doing whatever they did, and that reason probably has little or nothing to do with me. I also notice that without so much excess chatter or judgment in my mind, I am calmer during tough times. I have always been a steadfast person, but now I see not just the emotions of the moment, but the whole picture. I am making an effort to shield myself from the second arrow. Do you understand what that means? We talked a lot about that in class. You know, the first arrow is hurt, or pain, or whatever, and the second arrow is how we respond to that, and that's our own choice. <coughs> Knowing that it is optional, I am starting to comprehend and work with dependent co-arising. Thus, I don't feel as much regret, and I don't blame myself as much. I am not a whole new person, but <coughs> I now have a broader outlook on things in my life, which I have noticed has helped me. In my life, there are many things I see differently, especially there are several important things which have improved. I see expectations differently. I don't let them define me. I just strive to do my best. If I am not successful in my endeavors, whether it be some trivial task or a huge project, I am not upset, so I do not get imbalanced. 
This level-headedness helps me to see situations more clearly, and it helps me to see the whole picture of my life. My life moves fast, so I try to live in every moment, appreciating the ups as well as the downs. Ups and downs are mostly caused by my relations with other people, so I really try to walk in other people's shoes, and I have found that this helps me not to initially react with anger or frustration when something bad arises. I am more patient because I let the present moment play out. I am more tolerant because I make an effort to understand, and that makes me more willing to forgive. I do not emotionally invest in situations unnecessarily. I just see and appreciate. I know that this change in me will affect the way I am in the future, both the way I act and the way I see myself and others. I have always liked to challenge myself, and trying to be more mindful is quite a challenge. I will engage in this challenge because I know I will be better off now and in the future. Being less judgmental will help me have more compassion for myself and others. This will help me to see the whole picture, which will help me to be more balanced in the future. I have had good experiences being more tolerant and more patient. Thus, I am motivated to continue these efforts. Everything changes, and I used to get stuck emotionally because I wish I could stop the change. Now I see that there can be pleasant things and new learning experiences in every change. To cope with change, I can realize the continuous flow of life and not overfocus on one little part. I cannot stop the flow, but I can stop wishing I could. When I have trouble doing this, I think of a river. You can try to throw a stone in it to stop it, but the river just goes around or over it, so there's no point throwing the stone in the first place. I aim to live just the just in this present moment. Seventeen. I hope you. I hope what? What I hope? I hope for whatever you want, you know. <laughs> whatever you want, have it. Be full up. Have it. Be happy. And if you want to do this, you know, crazy, loony practice that we do, um, do it to the end, you know. Go as deep and as far as you can go. And if you want to, we can do it together. In the muck. I love music.
Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.